Hey, uh, if, you're, if this is your first time, man, we are so glad that you're here. Thanks for joining us. We are uh, in week four of, our, of this series called A Deeply Formed Life. And so we'll be wrapping this up next week, and then in March we'll kick off a brand new series. But for tonight, um, I want to I wanna bring us back. Like, I know COVID has been, has been a thing, right? And uh, it's been a pretty heavy thing in our, in our world, in our nation, in our state. But I wanted to look at the lighter side of COVID. And one of the things that I can't wait to see or have someone study was this really strange phenomenon in April of 2020. And that was the rush on toilet paper. You see what I'm saying? Like, you know what I'm talking about. Of all the things, right? When there's a worldwide pandemic, of all the things that we ran out of, it wasn't milk, it wasn't bread, it wasn't medicine, it was toilet paper. Like, I remember at one point watching the news, and I looked at my wife, I was like, man, we, we've got a lot of butts in this house. We, we, we better go to the store, right? And when you go there, and the, the shelves are empty, and you're like, what is happening? And you see, you know, the, this, this, this gentleman or this woman in line, and, and they've got, like, 30 things of, of toilet paper. And you're like, what is wrong with your bowels, right? Like, I mean... It was, it was the weirdest thing in the world. And even now, like I went to the store this past weekend for Super Bowl, right, to do, do some shopping, get some snacks. And all of a sudden, you're like, oh, wow, supply chain uh, issues are real. Like, there's some empty shelves. And it's a weird th- feeling because here in, in the United States, here in our, in our state, like, that's never really a thing, right? We live in this world of, at least in the grocery store world, of abundance. Like, we can get whatever we want whenever we want it in two days or maybe even one. And so that, it was a weird, it's a weird phenomenon. And the reason, I, the reason I bring up the toilet paper issue of uh, COVID 2020 is because I think it points to something that's deep within every person. And I, I think this is a universal thing that we all have in common. And it's this, this, this term called a scarcity complex. That we are fearful of there not being enough. We are fearful that I will be left out. All right, so just really quick, I want to define scarcity for you. It's the state of being in short supply of something. All right, and then the opposite of scarcity would be generosity, giving more of something than is necessary or expected. And you may be saying, well, Andy, that's not me. I'm good. I, you know, that, that doesn't bother me. Have you ever asked yourself or said this to yourself when you woke up? Man, I, I didn't get enough sleep last night. I could have used a, a few more minutes. Scarcity. Have you ever looked around and said, hey, man, I don't know if I have enough time today to get done what I need to get done. Scarcity. There's not enough time. There's not enough sleep. Maybe you got to see your friend. They came in for the weekend. You're like, man, we just didn't get enough time together. I love them. Like, but man, it went so fast and we didn't get to have some of the conversation. Scarcity. Or maybe you're in a place like this or you go wherever you go and you're like, man, everybody seems to be dating somebody. Maybe, there's, maybe I'm going to get left out. Scarcity. And I think if we're honest with each other, this idea of scarcity actually plays a much bigger role in our life than we have ever thought about. That much of what we do on a day-in, day-out, literally minute-by-minute basis is based on this scarcity complex that maybe there's not enough. And so we're going to look into this tonight because a deeply formed life is not a life built on scarcity. It is actually the opposite. It is a life that is built on generosity. And so we're going to look at two different cycles tonight, okay? 
So this is, uh, on the screens, you're gonna see the cycle of scarcity. All right, this is it. At the very top of it, you see that it is a, I trust uh, in myself. I know what I want, I know who I am, I know what I need, and I know how to get it. Right, and so that's, that's we, we wake up there every day. I know I do. Like, I know what I want. I want five more minutes. And then my alarm goes, I want 15 more minutes. I didn't get enough sleep. And so I keep sleeping, right? And I don't get up and do what I want to do or need to do. And so what ends up, what, it feels good because we're like, right, I'm, I'm the king of my own, my own castle kind of mentality. But here's, here's the problem with that is when, is when we trust in self, then it's all on you to do and get and to accomplish. It's all on you. And when we start to feel that, that rolls into fear and anxiety because we start believing lies because that's what, that's what, uh, that, that's what fear does is, is it feeds us lies and we start to buy into them. And so when we, when we believe in self, when we trust ourselves, it leads to fear and, and anxiety because we think, well, I'm, I'm alone in this. There is no one that is working for me. It's just me, right? And then we get to that one place where we don't ever wanna get. It's that, well, what if it never happens for me? I'm screwed. I'll be a failure. My life will be for naught. Everything I thought I, was, I could do, I can't do. Failure, scarcity. And then what ends up happening is we start following our fears, right? We fear this, and so we get desperate, and we start making desperate decisions. And when we start having a life of scarcity, we start manipulating people to get what we want. We start using people instead of serving and loving people. And in the end, what we end up happening is we, we, we follow those fears, and they always end up in frustration, disappointment, maybe some anger, and maybe even some depression. They're like, oh man, what, what I thought that was gonna do didn't, didn't do what it was gonna do. And so we go one of two ways. Either we sit there and we, we get mad at either ourselves, but most likely, if you're like me, we get mad at God. So let me give you, a, give you a quick story here. When I graduated college, I took a job in St. Louis. It was in ministry, and I thought, you know what? I'm gonna be a good, good Christian. I'm gonna promise the Lord, and I did. I remember we, I prayed, I was like, God, I am not gonna look to date. I am not going to meet anybody. I'm going to be all in on this job and on this ministry. Three months in, I had a girlfriend. And let me just say, it did not start off on a healthy place. We made some decisions as friends. We crossed a boundary, right? And we're like, well, I guess the only way is we, we should date now. That's the right choice, right? And so what I was doing was like, I'm, I'm in a new city. I don't know anybody, so I, I need somebody to hang out with. And so we started hanging out. And so we started hanging out alone for a long time and multiple nights a week. And, and eventually we're like, well, okay, God, you know that promise I made you? I'm gonna, I'm gonna I was mistaking. I wasn't feeling well that night. And so we're, we're gonna start dating. Dated for a year and a half. And the whole time I knew, I, this, is not, this is not what we, I should be doing. It started off on the wrong foot and we've continued forward. And it's like, I'm, I'm making bad choices because I was desperately lonely when I moved to St. Louis. And so eventually we'd break up and it was ex the exact same month I moved to Oklahoma where I literally knew not a soul. And so I'm here alone. I don't have a girlfriend. My family's not here. There is no young adult ministry in town. I was ticked. And you knew who I was ticked at? Not me. 
I was ticked at God. But when I look back, I'm like, you know what? I should have just been mad at me. God had nothing to do with that process in terms of like the decisions I made. I was living in a scarcity cycle. I was the king of my castle, making the, oh, my own decisions. I trusted me. And that led to making decisions out of anxiety and fear. And I followed those fears and it left me wanting because it did not do what I'd hope it would do. Right? So we trust in ourselves, produces fear and anxiety. Then we follow our fears and then we end up enslaved to scarcity and we just keep going round and round and round. Because when we get to the end of the cycle, we're like, you know what? I probably did it wrong. So I'll try it again different, but a little bit more intense and harder with somebody else or a new situation or a new city. And we just get into this cycle, right? And so here's where I'm going with this is our world offers us the cycle of scarcity to satisfy and soothe us. Go get more, accumulate more, get a better this, get a better that, and it will satisfy and it will soothe that hole in your heart. But the irony is that what the world says will fulfill you will actually leave you empty. But God says, and this is what we're gonna look at tonight, says emptying ourselves will actually fulfill us. It's completely backwards. That's why we don't wake up every day thinking, oh, that's what I should do, because it's backwards to our nature. And so what I'm gonna talk about tonight is this, trusting God to provide frees us to be generous. Trusting God to provide, Jaira, right? Trusting God to provide frees us up to be generous in every area of our life. And it's through generosity, which we will see in a moment, that you will find fulfillment. And we will find purpose for your life, and you will find walking in God's good, pleasing, and perfect will. So let's go back to where the scarcity complex, in my opinion, began. Genesis chapter two, verses 15, 16, and 17. It says, then the Lord took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to cultivate it and tend it. The Lord God commanded the man saying, from any tree of the garden, you may freely eat. Hard stop. Any tree, generosity. God said, you could eat from any tree, dude. Any one of them, right? He says, but from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. Okay, hold on, back up one step. Any tree except one, still crazy generous. He has provided an entire garden, say any tree, just not this one. And the only boundary, did you, catch this, the only boundary God put on his generosity was to protect them. He wasn't withholding. And it says, but from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For on that day, from the day that you eat from it, you will certainly die. The only boundary, right, I said is the one tree, was for their protection. Then we see scarcity come in. Genesis chapter three, verse one. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals of the Lord had God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say, you must not eat from any tree in the garden? And there it is. There is the seed of scarcity planted in the human heart. Did God really say? Because what Satan was doing there was, he wasn't, he wasn't arguing. He didn't need to argue. All he needed to do was plant a seed that God is withholding from you. He's not actually good. He's withholding. Did he really say that? He couldn't have, right? Like he goes the opposite way. Instead of 
letting Adam and Eve think about the generosity of God, he points out the one thing that God said no to. And so there is born the seed of scarcity. So we're gonna be in Proverbs chapter three. If you wanna turn your Bible, that's gonna be our, our, our anchor verse tonight. And if you grew up in church or you were an athlete at some point or you went to a Christian camp at some point, you were gonna know this verse very well. It is Proverbs three, verse five and six. Here we go. King Solomon writes this, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways submit to him and he will make your paths straight. So my first point tonight is that trust God to provide. This is what Solomon says, trust in the Lord with all your heart, right? Solomon was a guy that chased after wisdom, he chased after pleasure, and he chased after accomplishment, and at the end of it, right, this is the richest dude has ever lived on the face of the earth. And in the book of Ecclesiastes, he said, he said I purposed myself to become as wise and smart as possible, and he did it. He said, I'm going to, and that didn't satisfy, I'm gonna go now, and I'm going to have as much pleasure as humanly possible. He had over 800 wives. He's like, that didn't satisfy. I'm gonna go try and build stuff. I'm gonna accomplish and become a great man, right? He, he did all the work for you. And he said, trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Not in your wisdom, not in the pleasure of this world, and not in the accomplishments that we can attain. Trust in the Lord to provide. The amazing thing is we have a choice in whom we can trust, right? Solomon's telling us this. And so instead of trusting ourselves, right, in the other cycle, now we trust in the Lord. Our trust starts with God, that he is where we start. Because it matters where you start, doesn't it? It absolutely does. And here's the crazy thing, the trusting in God, it seems hard sometimes. Because if you're anything like me, I grew up in a, in, in a, in a, in a place in my own head and heart, I don't think this is the way the church told me, but I just internalized it, is that God's just constantly taking from me. He's just taking from me. He wants me to give up this, and he wants me to go do that, and he wants me to sacrifice this. And I'm like, good Lord. Right? No, no, no. <laughs> Satan's really good. Right? He took God's words and he twists them with Adam and Eve, right? He did the same thing to young, little, little 60 pound soaking wet Andy. All right? Watch this. In fact, not only is God trustworthy, he is generous. And we can be free to be generous because God is first generous to us. Listen to this. He has lavished grace upon us, He has given us what is good, He has given us a new identity and family in Christ. He is the giver of every good gift. He gives wisdom generously to those who ask. He has given us his spirit to be with us. He gives us his peace when he left. He has given each believer spiritual gifts. He has given us an inheritance in Christ. He came to give us life and life to the full. And ultimately, he has given us his son for our salvation. You see, God is a generous giver. He is not withholding. He is not withholding. God does not want something from you, but he wants something for you. He wants life and life to the full. It is the enemy that sneaks in and says, that's not true. Did God really say that? Did Jesus really say life and life to the full? 
And that life that he has for us is one that's marked by redemption and forgiveness, joy and peace, purpose and fulfillment. And all of those things are bound up in Christ, in the person of Jesus Christ. And so no wonder Jesus himself is inviting us to him. Because life and life to the full is found in Christ, following Christ, imitating Christ, being with Christ. Because God is a God who gives, and he is generous in doing so. You see, the truth is, we can trust him not just because he's generous, not just because he's a giver, but because he knows more than we know, and he knows you better than you know yourself. He knows what you actually need. He knows, he knows what you want, but he also knows what you need. In Isaiah chapter 55, verses eight and nine, it says, for my, God says, it says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. God is saying, listen, I know what you think. I know what you think you need. I know what you want, but I know you. And I know what you need. And he is the provider. And we can trust that he is because he is a generous giver. And so we daily need to turn over to him all things. We need to start with trusting him. Right? That's the top of the cycle. Instead of trusting ourselves, our insecurities, our fears, our desires, our wants, our longings, we say, God, I give my longings and my desires and my hopes to you. God, what do you want for me? Help me to rest in you. Help me to walk with you. We start by trusting him on a daily basis. If you, and if you need to know, do I trust God? Ask yourself this question. When you need something, when you are hurting, where do you go? What do you go to? Because my guess is if you're anything like me, I go to several other things before I go before the Lord and say, God, this, this is where I'm at. I need help. I wanna trust you. I'm having a hard time trusting you. Help me trust you. So it matters in whom we trust, whether it's ourselves or God, because we, when we put our trust in something, that will bear some, bear some fruit in our life, wherever it is. Wherever you plant yourself, you will produce fruit from. So if you, if you plant yourself in trusting yourself, you will bear fruit from that, right? My story earlier, like I bore fruit of my poor decisions. I trusted my own instinct. And it did not go well for me. That's a question I ask my children all the time. How's that working for you? They never answer it because they don't, they don't want to answer it. They know. And I think the same goes for us. Like, how's that working for you? So let's trust the Lord. All right. So let's, let's go back to Proverbs 3. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him and he will make your path straight. My second point is that trusting God leads to peace and willing submission. Now I feel like, just even today when I was writing that word down, I feel like I was like, oh man, this is gonna ruffle some feathers. We hate that word. Not peace, submission. We hate it with all of our being, especially as Americans, right? But the honest truth is we will submit to whom we trust. We will. We will submit to whom we trust. And so the question then becomes, do you trust you or do you trust the Lord? Because you are submitting to somebody. And when we submit to ourselves, it's typically we're submitting to our urges, our insecurities, our fears, and our lusts. 
That's what we're submitted to. Because we know what's best, right? Like it's, it's that phrase that um, it just grates on me all day long. You be you. <laughs> Hate that phrase. I don't want to be me. I know who I am. I know what I have done. I know what I would do apart from Christ. I would ruin my life and many others. So don't you be you. You be following Jesus, right? That's who we are as Christians. We are followers of Christ. We're not leaders of Christ asking him to come along to approve what we do. We are followers of Jesus. It says trust in him. In all your ways, submit to him. Because the truth is, like I said earlier, the lie is that you are alone where you are, that no one cares, no one loves, and it's all up to you. But here's the truth from God's word. You are not alone. You are absolutely not alone. God is with you, and he's given you his spirit as a believer. You are deeply cared for. Peter says, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. You are deeply loved. All we have to look at is at John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he acted. He sent his son. It was his love for you that moved him to action, to redeem you and save you. You are seen. You're not invisible. You might feel invisible to other people around you or people don't know you. Let me tell you a quick story in the Old Testament. There's a guy named Abraham, and he's married to Sarah. And God had promised Abraham, hey, you are gonna be the father of many nations. But they couldn't get pregnant. And so what'd they do? They trusted themselves. They said, I know what we'll do. Sarah goes to Abraham and says, hey, here's what we're gonna do. Um, I want a kid, and God has promised this, and so we're gonna make this promise happen a little quicker than it's happening. So Abraham, why don't you go sleep with my, uh, my servant over here, Hagar, and uh, she will bear a child. And she did. And... Wouldn't you know it? Sarah hated her for it. Treated her terrible. To the point where they kicked Hagar out. The newborn child, Hagar, get out. And she's in the middle of the desert, weeping. Right? She, was, she had no option in this. And this is, um, so she's in the middle of the desert, alone, by herself, with a newborn. And God meets with her. And he says, I see you, and I'm with you, and I will take care of your son, and he will become a great nation of his own. And this is what Hagar um, says in Genesis 16, 13. She gave this name to the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who sees me. First she said, I have now seen the one who sees me. And so the, 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 the cycle of... of uh, um, What's my word? Um, <laughs> scarcity, that's it. I'm, I'm, I, there's not enough words. Um, you got it. Uh, she was feeling like the lie there is that you're alone, that no one cares, that no one loves you, and it's all on you. And what we see God do in, in Hagar's life is like, no, I see you, and I am with you, and I love you, and I care for you. So the, 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 the cycle of scarcity is a lie. The truth is that we can trust God who is the greatest giver of all time, and when we do that, it actually sets our heart at peace. Not fear and anxiety, it sets our heart at rest and peace in Christ. 
that he is bigger, that he is better. His thoughts are better than ours. They're higher than ours. He's actually got the power to actually live it out, right? But we forgot the what if. But in the cycle of generosity, what, what if it still doesn't happen for you, right? What if it doesn't happen? What if what you were hoping for and dreaming for and wanting or needing, what if it doesn't, well, rest, rest your heart. Paul addresses this in Romans 8, 28, right? He simply says, God will work all things out for the good of those who love him and who are called according to his purpose. You see, even the what ifs God has got, he's got you. There is no situation that he cannot work for your good. It's when we idolize the outcome that it is for our, not for our good. But when we trust the Lord with our situations, when we trust the Lord with our circumstances, we sit in peace and willing submission to God because he is good. In fact, in John 14, 27, Jesus, right before he leaves, he says, peace, my peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. I do not give as the world gives. Do not let your heart be troubled. I love Jesus so much. I think he knew exactly how we tick. He's like, listen, I'm gonna leave my peace with you. His name is the Holy Spirit and he is gonna indwell you and be with you and he's gonna lead you and he's gonna convict you. And he's gonna teach you. He's gonna care for you. I'll be with you. So do not let your heart be troubled. And it's that kind of love. It is that kind of love that we can submit to willingly. Let's move on. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him and he will make your paths straight. My third point is that trusting God means there's a path to follow. There is a path and God is making it straight. When we trust God, submit all of ourselves to him, there is a path and he will make it straight. Life is crooked, but God can both remove obstacles and use obstacles for your good. When we're walking with the Lord, right? When we're walking in obedience, when we're walking faithfully, God will take care of it. He will provide what we need. And there's a huge difference between what we want and what we need. He will provide what we need. This is not prosperity gospel, right? He will make your path straight. Has nothing to do with a nicer car and a bigger house and a larger income. Nothing to do with that. He'll give you what you need. He will take care of you. So instead of following our fears, we follow the Holy Spirit, right? Back to our cycle of generosity. We trust the Lord. We find ourselves at rest and peace with knowing the sovereignty and goodness and generosity of God. And so then we listen, we follow the Holy Spirit's leading. And what happens in life, we're okay with because you know what? God's got this. It may not be what I want or what I like, but I can trust that he is good and he is generous. And we trust his spirit. How do you decipher how the spirit is leading you? Easy, we've covered it the last four weeks. You get into his word, you get with his people, and we fall on our knees before him in prayer, and we seek him. That's how you decipher what the Holy Spirit's saying. Like, you, you get those three things together in alignment, you're like, okay, this is what I feel like God's doing. Bring your friends in, search God's word, go to him in prayer, and say, all right, let's go. 
So the end result of following the Holy Spirit is then the freedom to be generous. The freedom to be generous is where we land. It's not a scarcity mentality. It's not a, oh, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta grind and I gotta, I gotta you know, hustle to make all sure it all happens for me. When you trust you, that's the life you will live. It is a cycle that will exhaust you and leave you wanting. Jesus invites us in and says, listen, I'm, I'm a generous God. I give good gifts. Every good gift is from me. So practically speaking, let's shift gears. How then do we do this? What does this actually look like to live in the freedom of generosity? Well, the first thing I would say is it looks like investing your time wisely. Investing your time wisely. Ephesians 5, 15, 16, and 17, Paul writes this. So then, be careful how you live. Do not be unwise, but wise, making the best use of your time because the times are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. So we invest our time. And I, I use that term on purpose, invest, because when we think investment, we think profit. We invest because we wanna have a profit. But here's the great thing about the, uh, the cycle of generosity is yes, it will be profitable for you, but it will also be profitable for others. In a scarcity mentality, it's all about you. In fact, I was reading an article, um, I think it was by Brene Brown, that said when, when we live in a scarcity complex, a cycle, that we start to exhibit excessive narcissistic behavior. It is all about me because I gotta get mine. No one else is gonna do it. But from a Christian perspective, from a biblical perspective, we take our cues from the Lord and from Jesus who said, I'm willing to give of myself for your good. And so we invest our time wisely. Because guys, let's be real. We've only got 24 hours. Everybody in the world, 24 hours a day. I don't care if you run a Fortune 500 company. I don't care if you're Elon Musk. I don't care if you're the president. I don't care who you are, if you're a high school student. Like, you got 24 hours. Where are you going to invest your time and your energy? And so as Christians, we can give of our, of our time generously. We can sit with a friend a little bit longer than we have time for because we care for them. Right, we can, we can commit, like I talked about a couple weeks ago, we can commit to a small group because like, I, I know that will pay dividends in other areas of my life beyond just that one hour, or an hour and a half on a Monday night. And so we invest our time into people because that's what Jesus did. And then the second thing we do is we, on, on top of investing time is we extend extending our service, our body. We serve people. Matthew 20, 28, Jesus says, just as the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. You see, we cannot be a prideful follower of a humble leader. Can't do it. If we are not willing to serve, then we have to ask ourselves, who are we following? My guess is we're living we're living the, uh, the scarcity cycle. I'm trusting myself and I don't wanna do that. I'm gonna trust that my desire not to do that means that's not doing that is the right thing. Where Jesus said, hey, I've come to seek and save the lost. I've come to give my life as a ransom for many. And he bowed down at the last supper and he washed the nasty, dirty feet of even Judas, the one who had bowed to be betray him. He served and served and served. Not for his good, 
but for others. And then lastly, we invest our time, we extend our service, and then we, the third way we can live this cycle of generosity is we share our resources. We share our resources. This is where I really like talking about this because we don't take a tithe on Tuesday nights. We're not passing the plate, so we're about to talk money. And you can know that I'm not talking about money because we need your money. We're not passing the plates tonight. I just wanna share with you God's word and what it says about it, all right? Mark chapter 10, verse, 20, verse 17 to 22. It's not gonna be on the screens. I'm just gonna read it. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good, Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. He's just running through the Old Testament law. This guy's Jewish, right? He's just running through the rules. Teacher, he declared, all of these things I have kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him. Catch this. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, Jesus said, right? Guys, the loving thing can be for God to convict you of something you lack. It says he looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said, go sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. At this, the man's face fell. He went away from Jesus sad because he had great wealth. We could, I could do an entire, I almost did an entire sermon on this passage. But here's what I want us to walk away with this from is, you can do all the churchy things, but if our heart is not Jesus, then we're gonna walk away sad one day. This last line that says, he, walked, he went away sad because he had great wealth. The irony is that he did not have great wealth, the great wealth had him. Real tight. His wealth had him. His money owned him. And he could not give it away. Scarcity versus generosity. God does not need your money. He doesn't. The church you attend does not need your money. It's all God's anyway. What God's concerned is he wants something for you. And my guess is the reason that, that uh, Mark included this is because what God wants for you is to be free from the enslavement to money. Free from the enslavement of your fear. That's what he wants for you. He doesn't want something from you. right? He doesn't need your cash. And so what do we do? We generously, more than expected, with our money, with our time, and with our, our, our uh, service, and so we put these into practice. And I just wonder what it would look like in your life if you started trusting God with your money and you start giving it away. There, it makes me think of this story. There's, there's a, a gal named Beth Moore. Some of you guys may know her. My wife told me this story this morning. She said that um, Beth's husband, I guess, struggles with, with, with scarcity of money, right? And so one day she saw her husband run into the house, like sprint into the house, grab the checkbook and run back out. She's like, what's happening? And so, and when they talked later, what, what, what they realized is like when, when the husband 
who struggles with, with, with being generous, whenever he feels that scarcity come up, he writes a check because he does not want that to control him. And she, she went on to tell the story that like, the more that he feels it, the stronger he feels it, the bigger the check he writes. He's like, that will not have power over me. And so I just wonder if the, the, the cycle of generosity that we are called to as Christians with our time, with our emotions, with our resources, and with our hands and our feet, that we're called to generosity so that we will loosen the shackles of enslavement to money and to expectations and to fear because those enslave us. And so I wanna encourage you tonight, trust God to provide for your needs. Trusting God leads to peace and willing submission and trusting God means there is a path to follow. And so we submit because he is a good God who gives good gifts and then we walk in his way. So what do we do with this tonight? I wanna give you a couple things. Number one, maybe tonight you just need to hear this. You need to know that God is trustworthy and generous. Do a quick word study on how God gives. What are the verses God gives? Where, how does Jesus give? He is generous. He is not withholding. Number two, ask yourself this question. What area of your life needs to be submitted to God? Because you're, you have a scarcity mentality, so you're holding on to it so tight. Because you just can't trust that anyone else will, will provide for you. What do you need to say, God, it's yours? And trust him with it. And then thirdly, how can you start living generously beyond what is expected with your time, your service, and your resources? Maybe it's time to start tithing. Maybe it's time to start serving and doing something for someone else's benefit regardless of the, the, the profit back to you. Know God's trustworthy and generous. What area of your life needs to be submitted to God and how can you start living generously? Because God has been generous with you. I wanna finish tonight by looking at both of these cycles side by side. Look at the contrast. You have trust God, trust in self. You have peace versus fear and anxiety. You have following the Holy Spirit or following our fears. And we have freedom to be generous or enslavement to scarcity. I don't know which one you want. I don't know which one you think, like that sounds better to me, I know for sure. But here's the, here's the guarantee, is I wake up every day in scarcity mentality, every day of my life. And so it is a constant, and here, here's the key word, repentance. That's how you jump from one cycle to the other, is repentance. It's nothing magic, it's just turning back to God. It's saying, you know what, I'm tired of this, I'm tired of staring at my fears. I'm tired of looking at my, my worries. I'm tired of looking at what might not happen. And I'm gonna look at the God who provides. That is a deeply formed life. When you trust the Lord with all your heart, even the dark spaces, even the dirty places, even the insecure places and the fearful places, you trust him with all of your heart. And he will, that is a promise, make your path straight. So here's where we're gonna end tonight. We're gonna leave uh, these up on the screen, the, the, the side-by-side image. And we're, I'm just gonna ask you to pray through that. 
Like I know like, we're not gonna guide you tonight or we're just gonna leave this up here. I want you just to pray through it. God, show me where I'm at. Where am I living? Where am I digging roots? And ask the Holy Spirit to show you. Where might you need to start being generous with your time, your service, or your money? So we'll leave this up here for a few moments and then I'll come back up and we're gonna read our scripture together and then we'll worship to close the night.